Well, hey, my name's Adam. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, if this is your first time, I would assume it's actually probably your second time because maybe you came on Easter and you're back, so we're happy you're here. If you're watching online, we're, uh, we, we remember you guys. We miss you. We love you. See you soon, hopefully. All right, hey, I have a question. And uh, you are in church, so you have to tell the truth. And I know you're thinking this is a school. No, from the hours of 10.30 to 11.30, this is a church. So you, will, you have to tell the truth, okay? Are you, are you ready to tell the truth? How many of you, at one point in your life, were a believer? Woo! You have to raise your hand. Raise it. Raise it up. Okay, yes. Okay, we have one down in the front. I know Jonathan is. He's just not out here to raise his hand. Um, if you don't know what a believer is, a believer is a Justin Bieber fan. Uh, fanatic, maybe. I don't know. Um, but Justin Bieber's an interesting guy. Have you ever, like, so for those of you who aren't believers, you probably will correct me on the things I'm about to say because I only know what Wikipedia told me. But uh, he was discovered at age 12. 12. He signed a record contract at 13 with Usher. He became an international star and a multimillionaire at 14. What were you doing at 14? Right? <laughs> At Billboard Top uh, 200, his hit song, Baby, debuted number one when he was 16 years old, youngest ever. And from there, he boomed off into super mega stardom, and he is, you know, what he is today. But four years right after, four years after the Baby uh, song came out, um, he had his first arrest after a DUI. A couple months after that, uh, he, he got charged with a misdemeanor for egging his neighbor's house. And you think, okay. Um, but evidently it was like tens of tens of thousands. Of, I, I read like 90 grand worth of damage. It was a lot of eggs. I don't know. He just must have had a lot of eggs. He was really bored, really didn't like his neighbor. And then a couple months after that, uh, he was on an ATV, had some, I don't know if they got in a wreck or something with a minivan, but he gets in a physical altercation with whoever was driving the minivan and he gets arrested for that too. From there, his public image started to crumble a little bit. Uh, there was a petition started <laughs> to deport him, because he's Canadian. I don't know if you know, he's Canadian. So the, and, and listen, 270,000 people signed the petition. Can you imagine 300,000 people wanting you to just leave the country? That's crazy. Um, China banned him from coming to perform, because they don't allow badly behaving performers his hit song, Baby, uh, on YouTube, became the most disliked video in history. It's, only, it's number two now, but at the time, it was the most disliked video in YouTube history. And then, uh, last year, he wrote this song, Lonely, that you just heard. Now, he's worth about $225 million, so if you're sitting there going, I don't feel bad for him, I get it, like, okay. But I will tell you this. You tell me what it would have been like for somebody to hand you a couple million dollars when you're 14 and have somebody follow you around the video camera for your whole life. How would it have gone? It wouldn't have gone well for me. So I, don't, I want to be a little bit careful uh, being too hard on this guy. But he destroyed his public image in a matter of months. And this song that you just heard is kind of looking back on that. Everybody knows my past, my, like my house is always made of glass. You ever felt like that? Like people know you for your for your worst things you've done. And maybe that's the price you pay for money and fame at an early age. <laughs> I'd say, yeah. And everybody saw me sick like no one ever gave a, because <clears throat> we can't say that in church. 
But he recognizes that when he was up, people cared about him. But when he was down, they turned on him. They criticized the things I did as an idiot kid. And then that label just stuck. So one of the reasons we like to do a series uh, where we look at songs that are not necessarily Christian. By the way, there's no such thing as Christian music. There's no such thing as Christian lyrics. So um, we look at songs that that don't necessarily have Christian lyrics. I like looking at these songs because um, I tend to think that, that people who aren't Christians write forgive me, more honest songs. That they're, they're more real about their struggles. They're more real about what's going on in here. Christian songs, we have to, we have to polish it up just a little bit, right? You always have to end, like, end on a high note because you can't, you can't not include Jesus and what he's done for you in some way. But these songs, they can just, they can just be raw. They can just be real. They can just be candid and say, hey, this is, this is me. And I, I love the questions that non-Christians ask in songs. They don't necessarily have good answers, but they ask really good questions. So the question I want to ask on this song is how do you come back after screwing up? How do you come back after a royal mess up in your life? Because I don't know if you know this, you, you are going to mess up in your life. You may not get a DUI, maybe. You may not egg your neighbor's house, and you may not get in a fight with Karen in her minivan. But, I don't know why his name's Karen. I drive a minivan. My name's not Karen. Um, but you're going to mess up. You're going to have to answer this question. So, so maybe some of you, you, maybe you've messed up recently. And you're asking this question right now. How do I come back from that? Or maybe you messed up such a long time ago that you actually stopped asking the question already. I want to ask it again. I want to stir that question back up in you. And then I just want to point out, for some of us, maybe, maybe it's not going to be like one little mess up, or one big mess up. Maybe it's just going to be a bunch of little ones that, that eventually form a pattern that eventually you ask the question, how do I come back from this, this thing I created over a span of time? Does that make sense? Because I, I always feel like when I preach something like this, like somebody's like, oh, so this is for the guy who committed adultery. You're trying to tell him how to come back. No, this is for everybody. Yes, him. But anybody who's messed up, anybody who's messed up either in a big way or in a bunch of little ways that led them to a place that they don't really want to be. If that's you, that's what this is for. How do you come back from a place you don't want to be? So there's a guy in the Bible who's kind of an expert on this. Uh, his name's Peter. Uh, now, most of us know Peter's major failure, right? Uh, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that the night Jesus was arrested, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And what made it worse is that just hours previous, he had told Jesus, I'll follow you to the end. You know, I'm with you to the end of the line. He was Bucky to to Jesus as Captain America. He was supposed to be there, and he wasn't. You guys are losers. I can't believe you didn't respond. Take my Marvel references somewhere else if you don't appreciate them. He said he was going to follow Jesus to death just hours previous, and then sitting around a charcoal campfire, people start asking him, hey, weren't you with that Jesus guy? And he's like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> the second, second one was a little girl. A little girl asked him. He was too scared to say yes. And then the third denial, he, he punctuates it. He puts an exclamation point on by cussing with the denial. I don't even know that guy. Like that, that's how strong of a denial it was. And then just like Jesus said, the rooster crows, and boom, it hits him. And then Luke 22, 62 says, 
he went outside and wept bitterly. Failure. Supposed to go one way and he went the other way. Wanted to follow Jesus and instead he went his own way. Wanted to boldly declare his loyalty to God, but instead he ended up a coward. He wanted to choose God and instead he chose self-preservation. Peter screwed up. Peter screwed up royally. And he ends up in tears. Now, a lot happens over the next three days, right? A little bit of an understatement there. One, Jesus dies shortly thereafter. For the sins of the world, including this one. But Peter's not there yet. So Peter loses Jesus. And that's a big deal. They were good friends for three years. Just losing a good friend would be difficult. Not only that, he had pinned a lot of his hopes and dreams on Jesus. He had some expectations of what Jesus was going to be. And now that's all crumbling on the cross. But even more than that, Peter's a ball of emotion because he had just denied Jesus. So not only is he sad, not only is he broken, he's also feeling a little guilty. You know? I let my friend down when my friend needed me. He's got, like, I mean, according to his own words, he should be dead too. Because he was going to follow Jesus to the end. So he's probably feeling guilty for even being alive at that point. So Peter's got all kinds of stuff going on. And then, three days later, Jesus doesn't stay dead. Pesky guy, that guy. Can't kill him. And you know what? Uh, I was... Easter just messes me up for, for months because, um, I don't know, of course you can't kill Jesus. Like, he's the source of life. The Bible says that the, the world was created through him. So, so killing Jesus, is, I don't know, it's like trying to make water not wet. How do you even do that, right? Like, he is life. Like, how do you kill life itself? So I'm more surprised that he died than that he came back to life. That's just because I believe who he said he was. So there are women who are the first ones to discover Jesus is still, uh, or is, is, is alive again. And uh, it's women who actually get to share the gospel for the first time. Did you know that? That women are the ones who get to share the good news that Jesus is not dead. And an angel at the tomb is the one who commissions them to go and tell. And here's what he says in, in Mark 16, 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the angel's telling the woman to tell the disciples, hey, remember when Jesus said he wasn't going to stay dead? I know you guys don't remember because you're not here. But he wasn't going to stay dead. He's going to meet you. Go wait for him. But did you notice the detail in this verse? It's an important one. It's weird. It's, it's out of place. Like if you're just reading fast, you won't notice it. But the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. And you're like, hold up. I thought he was one. Wouldn't it have been okay to just say, go tell the disciples? The angel included, oh, and Peter. Huh. Peter's been a disciple for three years. Three years. And in three little mini conversations, something changed. Three little short, I don't know the man's. And all of a sudden, he's not on that list anymore. So I want to make a couple observations here. Just off of that little line, go tell the disciples and Peter. Number one, tearing down in your life happens so much faster than building up. Peter spent three years building this I am a disciple of Jesus thing. And in three little conversations, he tore the whole thing down. It takes longer to build than it does to tear down. Don't forget that. Don't make some stupid little in-the-moment decision that will tear down something. And you can't rebuild it tomorrow. You tear it down, you're gonna, it's going to take you longer to build it back. So Peter, over the span of a couple of minutes, 
destroyed three years' worth of work. Second observation is that selfishness produces loneliness. Selfishness produces loneliness. Selfishness isolates. Selfishness separates. So there's a lot of ways you can screw up, right? There's a lot of ways, some of you, you're experts. You could come up here and tell people there's a lot of different ways you can screw up. You could maybe give categories, maybe give a list, all from life experience. But they all have one common denominator, right? Selfishness. Your biggest mess-ups in your life, if you boiled it down, one of the pieces would be selfishness. You chose you, right? I think Justin Bieber and the Apostle Peter would both tell you that selfishness drove their decisions, and that seemed best in the moment, right? We don't make self-decisions in the moment if they're not good for us. It seems like in the moment, this is good for me, so I'm going to do it. But ultimately, that selfish decision, every time you make a decision that's selfish, you inadvertently push everyone else away. You push everyone else away. And I, So, just to clarify, not all lonely people are selfish, but all selfish people are lonely. So, I, I, I want you to hear this. I'm not, if you're sitting here being like, I'm lonely, Pastor Adam said it's because I'm selfish. No, I didn't. You might be, there's a lot of reasons to be lonely, but if you're selfish, the most selfish person in the world is the most lonely person because they inherently are pushing people away. If you live a purely selfish life, you're going to live it by yourself. You will. And that's what happens here with Peter, man. He, he, he should have been, go tell the disciples, but instead, it was go tell the disciples and Peter because his selfishness in that moment pushed him away from his group. Selfishness produces loneliness. And then the third observation I want to make here is that Peter allowed his failure to steal his identity. Peter allowed his failure to steal his identity. See, failure, especially this kind, it can be sticky, right? You ever failed and have it? It seems like it just won't let go of you. Like you, get, you can't pull it off sticks to your soul and won't let go. Failure wants to whisper in your ear that it's not something that you did. It's who you are. So Peter's no longer identifying as a disciple these days. He sees himself through the lens of his failure, and it happened fast. He messed up. Three little conversations. All of a sudden, I'm not that anymore. Three years building it, but one, one little night and boom, that's not who I am anymore. That failure stuck and started to erode the identity that he had built for three years. Maybe that's you. Maybe you failed a long time ago, but you've never actually came all the way back because you've allowed that failure to somehow become a part of your identity. It's not just something you did. It's, it's now you, you think about it as who you are. You've allowed this, this failure label to stick to your soul and you can't seem to scrape it off. See, Peter, he trades his true identity for his failure. So he's isolated himself, his identity, his, the way he thinks about himself is crumbling and this leads to something awful. Leads to something awful, leads to something devastating, as if these things aren't bad enough. Uh, this leads to something that could ruin Peter's life. thing is found in... John 21, 3. Are you ready for this? This is, this is devastating to Peter's life. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Awful. 
devastating to Peter's life. So ruin Peter's life right here. Fishing. You guys fish? Nobody wants, no, there's more believers than fishers in our, what does that say about our church? <laughs> I don't know. But you might be saying, what, is, what do you have against fishing, Adam? I don't know, it's dishonest. You know fishing is dishonest, right? You're telling the fish, here, oh, you're hungry, here's a nice little worm for lunch. No, let me mm, stab you in the face. You tell me how you would feel if somebody invited you to lunch and said, hey, yeah, yeah I'll even, I'll pay. And then they just, mm. that's horrible. I'm happy you didn't say that you're, nobody said that they were fishing. At least I couldn't hear you, so you can hide this. I'm just kidding, I don't care about fishing. You're allowed to be a fisherman. But the reason this is devastating to Peter's life is because this is not a hobby for Peter. Fishing is not a hobby. Fishing is a career. So when Peter says this, he's not just like, I want to go spend some time on the boat, chill out a little bit. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm going back to my old life. Like, that's crazy. I mean, think about, think about how quickly this thing has imploded. He's like the leader of the disciples. He is the mouthpiece. He is the one. And then boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, now he's not one of them. He's not identifying as one of them. And he's like, I'm done. I'm going back to my old life. I'm just, I'm just going fishing. See, Jesus called him out of that. Jesus said he was going to make him a fisher of men. So this little sentence, I'm going fishing, it represents lost purpose. See, what I want you to see is that failure, if not dealt with, can attach it to yourself and destroy your life. It can destroy your life. It'll isolate you. It will strip you of your identity and strip you of your purpose. All because of failure. But I want you to see something. This is really important. Um... Peter is now kind of pushing away from things. You can kind of see he's pushing away from the people God placed in his life. He's pushing away from the identity God gave him. He's now pushing away from the purpose God gave him. But if you asked Peter, are you pushing away because of God? He would say, no. I'm pushing away because of me. Right? Peter would not have blamed God for this. Peter blamed himself. This is important. This is important. Peter's not rejecting God by doing this. Peter is rejecting Peter. Peter has decided he is disqualified. Peter has declared himself ineligible for God's identity and God's purpose in his life. The path Peter is on at this point in the story has nothing to do with Peter's thoughts about God and everything to do with Peter's thoughts about himself. Is that you? Are you holding yourself back? Because it's something you did? Like you would say, my problem is not a faith in God. My problem is a faith in me. Um, and, and by the way, that's easier, is it not? Because essentially what you're telling God is, it's not you, it's me. Right? You're, how many of you have done, have you done this? Anybody? You in the dating pool in the past, have you ever done that it's not you, it's me thing? Okay, no. Uh, let's be real. You lied. You lied. You didn't mean that. It, you did not mean that it's not me, it's you. You meant, no, it's you, but I'm going to be nice and say it's me. Right? That's what you meant. So if you lied to that poor guy or that poor girl in that way, I just want to say, let's have some deeper self-understanding when you tell God that. Because, let me, let me jump down the line logically. 
God, you know, all-powerful, all-knowing, said to you, hey, I want to give you this identity. I want to give you this purpose. You said, hey, so I tried and I failed. I guess that's not for me. I can't do it, God. Not you, it's me. But since God is all-knowing and all-powerful, isn't it kind of the same thing as saying, you're wrong, God? Aren't you kind of telling God, actually, you got me wrong? Hey, I know you like breathe stars out and you created the whole universe and all that stuff, but you can't fix me. Aren't you kind of telling God that? And then it's easier, I know, because you'd rather say, I, have, I don't have faith in me because you're allowed to say that, right? You can't say you don't have faith in God. That's, an, that's against the rules. So you'll just step one step to the side and say, no, no, God, it's me I don't trust. But I think God would come back and say, hold up a minute. <laughs> and he did, actually. I can prove it to you because Moses did this before. And so let me flip from Peter to Moses real quick. God called Moses uh, to go tell Pharaoh to let his people go, right? Um, burning bush, big story. And Moses kind of gets in an argument with God. And you know what Moses says? Hey, God, this is really cool. Sounds like an awesome plan. Uh, one problem, I can't do it. I, 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 and he essentially says, I can't talk good, and I, I stutter. I can't do this, God. I can't do the thing you're calling me to do. You know how God responds? God, like, takes that personal. Even though Moses very clearly said, no, 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 it's not you, God. It's me. God took that personal. Here, I'll read it to you. God kind of gets heated. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak. I will instruct you in what to say. Don't you dare give up on your purpose just because you don't think you're good enough. He created you. So if he created you, he can call you to whatever he wants to. Tell God you're not sure about what he's called you. He'll say, that's fine. I made you. I am sure. Because I want you to know something, and this is weird. I don't, maybe this is more controversial than anything I say, but man, God knows you better than you know you. I, I think that's, that's maybe one of the biggest lies that, that our, our society kind of believes is that we know ourselves so much. No, you don't. God is the expert on you, not you. Because man, when you do that thing where you say, God, that's awesome, man. Look at that purpose that you, you offered me. Look at that identity you offered me, but I'm just not good enough for that. It's not you, it's me. I mean, that's like telling an artist, hey, it's not you, it's your painting. (laughs) Or or an inventor, it's not you, it's this machine that you made. It's like, what do you think, what do you think the response is going to be? God's going to be like, are you, are you kidding me? I made you, I wrote your DNA. It's not you, it's me. You are out of your depth if you think you can tell God who you can be and what you can do. You are not qualified to make those judgments about yourself. So, here's what happens with Peter. He goes fishing. He takes some guys with him. That could be a sermon in and of itself. He's pulling people back into uh, their old lives. So, long story short, I won't go into the details, so don't call me later and be like, that's not how it happened. I know, I'm paraphrasing. Jesus shows up on shore. Um, he does that thing that Jesus does, throw your net on the other side, which is a joke because like, <laughs> there's a fish on the other side, it doesn't even matter. Um, all of a sudden they're catching fish. Uh, one of the other disciples says, that's Jesus, like, duh, you just woke up to that one. Peter jumps into the water and swims to shore, which is interesting. I think the boat probably beat him there. They're like, what are you doing? You're swimming, we're in a boat, man, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> 
So Peter comes out soaking wet. Best part is that he gets to shore and Jesus already has fish cooking. Which, by the way, there's another lesson that Peter went out fishing, couldn't catch anything all night, and Jesus is over here going, you guys want breakfast? <laughs> Literally, like nothing. And there's a whole other sermon. If you follow God's purpose, he can, he can supply your needs. I could preach that whole thing too. So he catches all these fish. This, this haul, and for fishermen, that's a big deal, right? He has this, this, this represents money. This represents, you know, what you would be doing if this was your purpose in life. Pile of fish sitting there. Jesus sitting here, and uh, a crazy thing in this story, it's a little detail that you, again, you could miss. It says that Jesus made a charcoal fire, fire. And there's only one other place in the Bible that talks about a charcoal fire. It's the same fire that, that Peter denied Jesus around. There's only one other, like literally those two words, charcoal fire, only happened in those two places. So now think about this. Think how crazy this scene is. They're on the shore of the sea where Jesus called Peter to be a disciple, where Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, possibly the same beach. Jesus sets up a charcoal fire and says, come here, Peter, sit down. And, and have, you, you know how smell works, right? Like that, you have smells that just kind of take you back all of a sudden. Smell triggers memory. So Peter sits down and it's like, hmm. Gets a little sick to his stomach. Oh yeah. I was just excited to see you. I forgot that I failed you. I forgot that I'm not this anymore. Yeah, here, here they are. Here are your disciples, Jesus. And uh, they eat. And Jesus locks in on him. I mean, Peter is the reason Jesus is here. John 21, verse 15. Here's what happens. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Now, a lot of details going on here that I have to at least kind of explain a little bit so we can kind of, you can understand deeper than just what's happening. Uh, number one, when Jesus said, do you love me more than these? I'll just be honest with you. There are two ways you can look at this. I'm not sure which one's right. Um, some people believe that Jesus is uh, saying, do you love me more than these? And pointing at the other disciples that are sitting around the table. Because, or the fire. Because Peter when he, uh, during the Last Supper, said to Jesus, uh, all these guys might run away, but I'm not going to. So it, some scholars believe that Jesus is recreating this. Hey, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? Remember that? Remember when he said that? <laughs> could be. Could be. Kind of calling Peter out. But then other scholars believe that when he says, do you love me more than these, that Jesus pointed to the boat and the, and the sea and that pile of fish. Do you love me more than these? I probably, if you, have, if you make me pick, I probably like that one better because he's essentially asking Peter, this is like a life question, Peter. Me or that? This life or that life, Peter? Jesus or not Jesus, Peter? I think I like that one. So that's the first detail you got to know. I, I think he's asking him, which life are you going to choose, Peter? And then the second detail is lost in translation. Translation, literally. Uh, there's a, several Greek words for love. On English, we only have one, which is kind of pathetic, right? Where you say, I love my wife, but I also love pizza. And I think you mean two different things when you say that, but you use the same word, and it's weird. Um, Greeks are smarter than us, and they have several words. So, um, Jesus specifically uses the word agape. He says, Peter, do you agape me? Which is uh, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. It's God-level love. It's like tier one love, the best kind of love you can have. Um, 
Peter responds by using a different Greek word. Jesus asks, do you agape me? Peter says, uh, Lord, you know I phileo you. It's the same word, uh, brotherly love. Phila, like Philadelphia. Um, Love between friends. Down a couple notches. Do you agape me? Lord, you know I phileo you. Okay. Um, Jesus asked one question, you answered another one. All right, fine. Jesus isn't stupid. He sees Peter's games. So Jesus turns around uh, in the very next verse and asks the exact same thing. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Same question, same response, right? It's just on repeat. That's two if you're counting at home. Jesus asked it once. Now he's asked it again. Jesus asked this question. Peter answers this question, whatever. Verse 17. The, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now this one's significant for several reasons. Number one, Jesus shifted a little bit on Peter here. He didn't use the word agape here. He dropped down to Peter's level and said, oh, okay, do you phileo me? It's almost like a, really? Do you? And, uh, Peter's response to this is perfect, right? You know all things. And that's right, by the way. Jesus is not asking these questions for his own information. He's asking them for Peter's information. This is a check on Peter. Peter doesn't know his own heart, right? He proved that by telling Jesus he was going to die for him and then denying him three times a couple hours later. So this is Jesus saying, hey, Peter, let's check it. What's going on in here? Jesus knew already. He didn't need to ask these questions. He was making sure Peter knew his heart. Do you love me? But the beautiful part is that this is the third time he asks him. And this is like a full circle moment for Peter. Sitting on the beach where Jesus told him, hey, I'm going to change your life. I'm going to give you this new purpose. Sitting around a charcoal fire, remembering how he failed that purpose. Three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? Just like three times he denied Jesus. This is, this is supposed to close the loop for Peter. We're going to come all the way back, Peter. Three denials, three questions. And I think one of the things this shows us, guys, is that when you fail, there's going to be a process to come back. You can't just expect to bounce right back, especially after something big. It's going to take a, it's going to take a while. You're going to have to go through some things to get back from, from where you were. That's why it's so important to remember not to tear down what you built because it takes a lot longer to to rebuild it. But I love what Jesus does here. Thank God Jesus didn't treat Peter like Peter treated Jesus, right? Can you imagine? I mean, maybe Peter didn't know. I don't know. He's swimming up to shore sits down at the campfire soaking wet. The other disciples get around. Jesus could have been like, hey guys, good to see you. Who are you? you? You're going to sit around my fire and eat my fish? I don't know you. He absolutely could have. And maybe in the back of Peter's mind, deep down in his heart, he was afraid that that's exactly what Jesus was going to do. You said you didn't know me. Now I'm going to say I don't know you. But he didn't. Instead, he asked three questions, mirroring the three denials. And essentially, this is Jesus restoring Peter. Feed my lambs. (laughs) This is Jesus telling Peter, what, you think I'm done with you? (laughs) 
You think because you messed up now, you're, you're used up, I can't do anything with you now? You messed up a couple of times and I'm over you? You're just going to float aimlessly through life catching these fish now? You think, you think that that thing that I said to you on this beach three years ago, you think that's gone now? You know what Jesus is telling Peter here? You don't have to live your life at the level of your worst moment. You don't have to live your life at the level of your worst moment. You don't have to. Your worst moment should not dictate the altitude of your, the rest of your life. Think about that. How many people do that? You screw up and it's like it drops the plane down and then you just stay here forever. This is Jesus saying, no. Pull, pull, pull up on the stick. Get this thing back up to where I called you to live. What are you doing? You think because you messed up, you don't have an identity anymore? You think you messed up so you don't have a purpose anymore? Some of you are doing this. You are living your life at the level of your worst moment. Telling God, it's not you, it's me. I messed up, God, I guess this is it now. Some of you even convince yourself that you deserve it. But I want to declare today over you that that's, that's over now. No. Jesus didn't throw you out because you messed up. Jesus didn't decide he was done with you and put you on the bench to aimlessly float through life with nothing, no identity, no purpose. <laughs> you screwed up. I have, I, have, I have good news. That's the reason Jesus came. The whole reason he came is because you were going to screw up. All your sins were in the future when Jesus died on the cross. He knew all of them. He's not up in heaven going, I can't believe they did that. He came down here for that reason. He knew you were going to screw up. He died for it. The Bible says that he will take your sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. He will take what is scarlet and make it white as snow. Yeah, you screwed up. He paid for it. He paid for it. He doesn't want you to live there anymore. He doesn't want you to live down at that level anymore. He wants you to live in the identity he's given you, which is loved. He wants you to live out his purpose, not some BJV purpose. He wants you to live out the purpose he created you for. You screwing up can't take that away. Jesus came so your worst failure would not steal your identity. He came so your worst failure would not steal your purpose. So as Jonathan and Tara come up to close out service, um, I want to ask, I want to ask you, like, are you sitting here right now and like your failures have owned you? Maybe you have something way back in the past that you've just, that just stuck to you. And it's not just something you did. In your mind or in your heart, it's who you are. And maybe you've benched yourself from the game that God wants you to play. Man, I just wanted you to take like right now and ask God. I want you to imagine sitting around a, a charcoal fire with Jesus and have him ask you some questions. I just want you to allow that imagery to, to burn into your mind. That he wasn't looking at Peter with any uh, like accusatory look. He loved Peter. He wanted Peter back, man. He was doing whatever he could to, come on, Peter. I created you for this. You got a sermon to preach in about 40 days where 3,000 people are going to get saved. Peter, get up. Get up. Just because you messed up doesn't mean I'm done with you yet. I think he's saying the same thing to you. He's not done with you just because you messed up. Pray with me. Jesus, I pray for that person, those people in this room right now who... 
they messed up, maybe big, and it's left this gaping hole in their life. And they, they've, they've been knocked off course. They, they, they have allowed it to attach itself to them. Lord, I pray that you would free them from it right now, Lord. That, that you would unstick that failure from their identity. That you would, you would break free those chains, Lord. That you would fill their heart right now with a sense of purpose. That you are not done with them. You still want to do amazing things through them in their life. They can get up and walk in confidence that you love them. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.